Amen. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last week as we're working through verse by verse, book, uh, chapter by chapter through this book of 1 Corinthians. What an incredible letter this is. I don't know that there, I really don't know if there's a better letter in, in the scriptures uh, that help us as a local church. Because there's so many things that Paul dealt with in this young church there in Corinth. Uh, the, the issues that he deals with helps us because there are issues. Uh, we see this as we've worked through this already. There are issues that we deal with. There are issues that the same kind of things that we struggle with in our churches today. And so Paul has given us the answers that we need. So we're going we're gonna to be here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'm thankful for Aaron praying. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. My mouth gets ahead of my... My brain is already somewhere else and my mouth's lagging behind. Uh, this morning, if I were going to title... Well, I did title it, so it's not if I'm going to title it. But if I, since I did title it, I'm going to tell you what I titled it. And I found that this morning I had not titled it. Uh, I thought, well, what am I going to share as the title? So as I look back through this, the title of the message this morning is simply this. Glorifying God in your body. In your body, glorifying God in your body. And we're going to look all the way from verse 12 through verse 20. And so let's, uh, I'm thankful for Aaron praying and I don't, I don't, it's not that I don't trust his praying at all. I do trust his praying, but I just want to settle my heart and have a word of prayer. Father, as we come now to, to your word and this most special time of, of the service, as we open up your word and we, and we learn from it, God, I pray for Clarity in my thought and in my speech, and I pray you'll help me to clearly communicate, God, what you put on my heart this week, actually in these weeks of, of preparation. So, Lord, just uh, use this time. Uh, may we come before your word this morning. May we come before your word right now, humble. May we just humble ourselves so that we can hear, Lord, not from me, not from a man, but from your word, from the Holy Spirit of God, and, and, and Lord, speak to our hearts and I pray, Lord, that you'll do whatever needs to be done in each of our hearts this morning. You'll do it. And uh, may we be obedient to respond to the leading and the work that you are doing in us this day. And we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin this, let me remind you the kind of city that Corinth was. So Corinth was a coastal city. It was a major seaport in the New Testament world there. And it was approachable from the Mediterranean Sea, from the Aegean Sea, and from the Ionian Seas. And you may be wondering where Corinth is. So it's actually in modern-day Greece. It's not far from Athens. It's a little bit west of Athens. So you, you'll have an idea of where it sits there in the Mediterranean. So ships from all over the world passed by Corinth. And so this, thus this city was filled with sailors uh, from all over the world. And if, you, if we think that we live today in a diverse society, you know, you should have been there and seen Corinth. There are, there, are, there are cities that are much more, and we understand diversity living here in Florida. We have people from all over the world, all the different cultures that are here. Uh, we have a very diverse culture, but there was, it was a much more diverse culture there in Paul's day. It was also a popular tourist spot as, as you know, being there on the coast. Uh, we understand that, but most, most, you know what I found? Most Floridians don't like the, the beach. It's, it's everybody else in the country who wants to come down here and go to the beach. People who live here don't go to the beach much. It's like, eh, I don't like the sand or whatever. Um, but, but people love the beach and they want to travel. So tourism was a big part of, of Corinth as well. And its main attraction was the Temple of Aphrodite. And, and so who was that? What was that? The Temple of Aphrodite was a temple to Aphrodite who was the goddess of sex, okay? And, and, and so the way that you, you worshipped Aphrodite was by participating in sex with one or more than 1,000 temple prostitutes. I promise I'm not going to get vile or vulgar in any way, okay? So don't worry about your... Hopefully, you may have to explain some things, but I'm not going to get inappropriate, okay, in this message. Because uh, this is a very sensitive subject that we're going to talk about. So as a result of that, Corinth was probably one of the most pagan, most generate, uh, degenerate cities in the first century world. And sin ran rampant there in that city. But God used Paul. Paul comes to Corinth and he establishes a church. He wins some, some people. He grows, uh, begins a growing. He's, so he's established the church. It's a growing church. And, and they're making an impact in that sinful pagan uh, community, that sinful pagan society. The problem, though, was that the pagan culture was making an impact within the church. 
it was having a huge impact in the church. And we've, you know, if you just go back to what we've already studied through the first five and a half chapters, we see problem after problem after problem that were the problems from the world that were brought in. And, and th thus is the case today, amen? The problems we have today, not, not because we're walking rightly with Jesus in every step and doing everything as the Bible says. The problems come in when we do things the way the world does it or the way we're experiencing in the world or the way we used to do it in the world. We're not acting. You know, it's all that list that Paul we, that we went through last week. All of those sins. And, and, and Paul says, were some of you, were, past tense, but... You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You've been justified by the blood of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been born again. You don't live under that anymore, okay? You don't have to live under that anymore. And so the impact that was coming into the church by Corinth was something Paul was having to address, and that's where we come to this morning. We're addressing, a, 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 it's a new issue, but it's a continuing issue basically from what we've already looked at in, in chapter 6. Now, I want to say this. I said this last week. I want to remind you of this. I want you to think about this as we go forward, okay? Scripture never conflicts with Scripture. Correct. Amen? Amen? Never. You're never going to have a verse over here that says something that does damage to a verse over here. Oh, well, this, this, this just can't be true because he said this over here. Look, the problem is never with Scripture. The problem comes in when we see a conflict in Scripture where they're doing harm to one another. It's our problem. It's that we've misinterpreted Scripture, okay? So we, anytime you have Scripture that conflicts, it's an us problem, not a scriptural problem. It never conflicts. It only occurs when we mis misinterpret something. Now, why do you say that, preacher? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to teach you something this morning. I'm going to share something with you that, that uh, to me, troubled me for a long time. In fact, you may have noticed, uh, I, actually, Pastor Aaron and I talked about him teaching this while I was going or preaching this message while I was going a few weeks ago. We had come to that part. I said, you could, you could go right into that. He already had a, a, a message planned, so we didn't do that. You, you've noticed now it's been a month. So I've been chewing through this. I've been wrestling with this scripture. Not that I'm scared to preach it, but I had to come to a place of that I understood what Paul is saying here and what the context and, the, and, and what he's really dealing with. So bear with me as we work through this, okay? So chapter, here in chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, many pastors and many commentators have struggled with this passage. In fact, I've talked with several pastors uh, in the past couple of weeks and just picking their brain about this verse. And every one of them struggles with the first part of this verse. And what, what is Paul actually saying right here? So how do we deal with what Paul says here? He says twice, all things are lawful for me. Now there's a problem with this statement because it contradicts Paul's teachings elsewhere. If you're really going to say all things are lawful, all things are permissible, all things are okay for me. Many try to rationalize this statement with the idea that we're no longer under the law, which is true in the sense that we're no longer under the law in regard to righteousness. Understand this. Righteousness, the law was there to reveal our sin to us. And if you were going to be righteous under the law, you had to fulfill the whole law, which was impossible. Thus, you have the sacrifices, constantly sacrifices being made to atone for sin and to cover sin. So, so we come to this place, understand, I'm not saying that we're under the law. I'm not saying we have to live by the law. That is not what I'm beginning to say. So don't run ahead of me here, okay? Because you can hear something. Here's what happens. We hear something, we go, ah, and we start defending it in ourselves. and you didn't even give me a chance to explain what I'm saying. So, so take the journey with me here, okay? So it's true in the sense that we no longer are under the law in regard to righteousness. Our righteousness as believers is in Christ, not in our keeping of the law. So the law is not something that you can keep and be righteous. Yes, we're no longer, uh, you know, under the law, but, but that, that, the fact that we are no, under the law, no longer under the law does not mean we are free to live like we want to. Okay, or that all things are lawful for me. Now you're going, Paul said it, so how is it that, that you're, you're, you're contradicting Paul right now? I don't think I am, and you'll understand in a moment. Let me, let me work through this. So let's look at some passages that deal with this. Galatians 5.13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. 
Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, if all things were permissible for me and I could just do whatever I wanted to do, Paul wouldn't have said, look, you've been, he would have said, you've been called to liberty. You've been called to liberty so you can do whatever you want to do. You can just live like you want to because you are in liberty. You're not under the law. Christian liberty is never licensed to sin. Amen? Christian liberty does not mean I am free to do what I please, but that I have been free to do what Christ pleases. Amen? That's what I'm to do. Christ sets us free from the slavery to sin. Hear me on this. We are not, as believers, we are not free to sin. We are not free to sin. But some in the Corinthian church wrongly took that freedom to mean that they were free to sin. That was what was going on. Oh, but I've been saved by grace. That's what people say. That's what they were saying. I've been saved by grace. I can do what I want. I've heard those statements. I've heard them. Well, I've been saved, so I can do whatever. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. And that's a danger with our Baptist uh, once saved, always saved. Now, believe, hear me. I believe that absolutely. I believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. But here's the deal, folks. You've got to be once saved. And I'll guarantee you, if your attitude, I've prayed a prayer, I'm going to heaven, I can live like I want to. You haven't been born again. You haven't been once saved because your attitude doesn't match with Scripture. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, I've been forgiven. God's grace is forgiving and God's grace will forgive. His grace will forgive when we're, when we're repentant, when we're broken, when we're contrite and we come and confess our sin. He'll forgive us our sin. But, but, but what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? I'll sin some more so God's grace can pour out some more on me. Verse 2, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We're not to sin. Now, Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. Okay? Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I come or that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Jesus didn't wipe away the Ten Commandments. It's not lawful to, for us to kill or covet or lust or steal. You know, it's not that, the, that Jesus said, hey, I fulfilled it all. Now you can do again. You can just do what you want to do. Live like you want to live. We still have those moral laws that God has given. They're still there. It's still in place. Jesus did and just wipe that away. Verse 18 there, Matthew 5. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He didn't say it was okay to sin. He actually says, if you read what the verses we're going to read here in a moment, he actually says that living under grace was even more difficult. It was really more constraining if you want to look at it, but we're free, folks. We're free from sin. We don't, we're, not, we're not in the slavery to sin anymore. Verse 21, you have, uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever, whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. That doesn't sound like we can just do whatever we we like. Amen? That's not what Jesus said. Romans 6 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves or account yourselves. Do the, do the, calculate this. Think about it. That's what he's saying. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Okay, your body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members, that's your body, that's different parts of your body. Do not, let, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members, listen, as instruments of righteousness to God. So our body is to be an instrument. Our entire body and the members of our body are to be instruments of righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. So sin is not to rule. You're not free to sin. You're under grace now, but that doesn't free you to just live like you want to. What then shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. 
Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, folks, we are set free from sin you became slaves of righteousness. Now, I love this statement. You know, we want to be our own boss. I don't want anybody ruling over me. It's one of the biggest lies in our community, in our, in our, in our culture today. I don't want anybody to be my boss. Folks, it's just plain and simple. You, you, you're going to have a master. You got one master or the other, and it ain't you. You may think you're the boss, you may think you're ruling, but you're either under his authority or you're under Satan's. You're going to be one or the other. You're going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be freed from sin. If you've been freed from sin, then you're a slave of righteousness, okay? And that's how we're to live. We're to live as slaves of righteousness. We're free not to sin. We're now freed in order to live lives of righteousness for the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So many commentators have taken the stance. Now we look at this verse. We go back and you look at that again. Verse 12 there in 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for, for, for me. So many commentators have taken the stance that, that part of these statements from Paul are actually him quoting the Corinthians and these clever slogans that they have. They've come up with these statements. Now today many say these things. They say to each his own. To each his own. We know what that means. Teach his own. Uh, you know, it, it, it means something. It doesn't necessarily mean what they say, but we know what it means. You only live once. That's a big popular one today. Y- uh, YOLO. YOLO. <laughs> uh, YOLO. So the memes and stuff. YOLO. So you only live once. Well, live stupid and you're going to die once real quick. Um, <laughs> YOLO. Or, or, and I talked about this, I, I think I talked about this Wednesday night. Live like you were dying. Nope, I don't want to live like I'm dying. I want to live like I'm going to live forever because you know what? I'm going to live forever. That's how I want to live. I may die, I may die in my body, but, but, but death is simply a door to eternity. It is simply the transition from life for the believer, from, from life here on this earth to life eternal with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not dying. I'm not dying. Now, if you die and if this is it, you're going to die and, 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 and you're going to spend eternity in hell, live it up, whoop it up, do whatever. That ain't how I'm going to live. I don't know. That's all free right there. Um, here's another one we know today, and we understand what comes from this. My body, my choice. We know exactly what that means. It's my body, my choice until it's talking about a mask. And then it's your body, my choice. Um, preacher, don't get started. We understand the thought that these things carry, right? We understand that. Paul understood their saying. Listen, all things are lawful for me. Here's what you could do. And some translations actually do this. You could put in quotes, all things are lawful for me. Because this is something the Corinthians were saying. They, they were saying that. Perhaps they were twisting Paul's teachings about meats to idols, or they were twisting his teaching on freedom from sin or our Christian liberty, but they were twisted, they had twisted or perverted his teachings, and they were excusing their sin with this slogan, with this saying, all things are lawful for me. Well, Paul, you taught it. We're free. We're not under the law. We have liberty. We, you know, th- these things are not sinful anymore, so I can do what I want to do. We often, now, now here's how we often think. When we think about Christianity, and, and, and before we got saved, we certainly probably thought this way. We think about Christianity in terms of what we can't do. Well, you can't do this and you can't do that and, and, and those kind of things. And that's why a lot of people don't like it because as a Christian, you know, we, we can't do that and we can't do that and we can't do that. Well, I don't want to do that. There's no fun. I like all those things because our flesh likes the sin. It likes those things. But the Corinthians were just the opposite. One, they were thinking of Christianity in the, in the, in the in order of things that they can't do. They looked at the world and everything in it, it looks like fair game to them. Everything, it's there. They say, we can do anything we want. All things are lawful for me. And that's the gist of this text, of what, of what their attitude was. Now, that mentality uh, is kind of, there's a, there's a word that, that we would use for that. It's antinomianism. 
And that comes from two Greek words that mean anti or against and nomos, which is the word for law. It means against law or no law. And basically, that's what they, their mentality was, that there is no law now. So if there is no law, I can just live like I want to. All things are lawful for me, for there's no law. So each time, as you read this now, as each time, as Paul quotes them, and he quotes them as saying, all things are lawful for me, he offers a rebuttal here. And, and he comes back and he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. You, you may say that, but, but you, you're going out here living. These things are not helpful to you. And, and, and uh, you know, that helpful, the NIV would translate that beneficial. The New American Standard translates that word helpful as profitable. So just because people are doing it doesn't make it good, doesn't make it right. All right? Then, then again, you could put it there again. All things are lawful for me. Paul's quoting them. But... I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, the power is to be mastered by. It is going to be controlled by. He warns that there are things that can enslave us and bring us back into bondage. So he refutes that twice. Now we get to verse 13, and it appears also here that this next statement is another uh, a quote from the Corinthian believers. Verse 13, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. They were not making an argument here about meats to idols. They, I, I do believe that they had heard the argument. I think that they had twisted that and they brought some of this teaching into there to, to rationalize this. But that's not exactly what they're saying here when they state this. They were making a broader statement and rationalization of their sin. Their argument was... God made the stomach and God made food. He made the stomach for food and he made food for the stomach. So when I'm hungry, I should satisfy my hunger. They were talking the same or taking the same thought process with the regard to sexual immorality. And that's where this is leading to now. God gave, and this is their mindset, God gave uh, you know, certain parts of our body for sex, and God gave us sex. So when I have a desire, I should satisfy that desire. That's the mentality they had, and that's the culture that they were in. The culture they were in, you know, the family was a different situation than it is today. We, 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 we married for love. I'm sure they married for love, but there were marriages that weren't about love, and, and the, the marriage relationship wasn't always a sexual relationship, you know, for pleasure within the marriage. It was oftentimes simply to grow a family. It was simply for procreation. And so what they did in that culture is they would have their wife, but they would go to the, they would go to the, the, the temple of Aphrodite and they would partake in sex with these temple prostitutes. Now, what is that? It's sexual immorality. It is fornication. It is adultery. It is sin. It is what we do today. We just don't have the temple of Aphrodite. We have the same thing going on. We have the word. And, and so this went on as a form and a type of the worship. Okay. So their religions would tie sex with these prostitutes to their, the way that they worshiped whatever God it was. Okay. That's what they would do. Now, in our culture, we have much the same thing going on. And it comes from this. There's the worship of the flesh that we see today. There's the worship of sex. Folks, if you don't think that's a, that's a religion, that is consuming people. They are the idol. Their idol is, is, is the human body. And, and they worship that. And, it's, and it's, the sex is a thing. They worship themselves. We're in a culture today, it's all about me. And, and what do you think the whole abortion thing is? That is a religion of me. Me. Me, me, me. It, it doesn't matter that that's a life. It, it, that life affects my life, so I should be able to just kill it if I want to. Okay? That's the mentality. So there's this worship of self. And so what, what we have, when you, if you want to relate this to what was going on in that culture, it's sexual immorality in its broadest sense today. Which, listen... Any sexual activity outside of marriage is sexual immorality. It's fornication. It's sexual sin, okay? Any sexual activity outside of marriage, 
Now, God defines marriage, not, not the laws of our land. Understand that. Well, they're married. No, they're not, according to God's. It is simply, if it ain't defined the way God defines it, which is one man and one woman, his intentions for one lifetime. That's the plan. That's God's plan. And, that's, and so that's how what we're seeing here with these prostitutes. When we talk about this, how it relates to us today, he's, Paul's not just talking about these guys going out and having, he's talking about sexual immorality, and we're going to see that. So they say God will destroy it and them, talking about the stomach and food. And so they disconnect the body from sin. And Raymond, you already know where I'm going with this. You, you already know where this is, this is going. So they believe that both food and sex were simply intended for their physical bodies and therefore had no bearing on their spiritual lives. This belief that, uh, that what we do physically has no bearing on our spiritual lives comes from the heresy called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics, this Gnosticism was popular in the first century. It tried to influence Christian thinking and Christian theology. And one aspect of this heresy was the idea that the only thing that mattered was the spiritual. So you could be a spiritual person and you could partake in whatever you wanted to and it was okay because your body, the physical, didn't touch the, the spiritual. It didn't have anything to do with that. So physical matter wasn't important. What meant, uh, what, what meant a person, which meant a person could do anything physically because it, was not, it had no impact on his spiritual life. Y'all with me? So there's this connecting that, that my body, what I do in my body, where I go, what I look at, what I see, what I drink, what I eat, who I'm with, any of those things, none of that matter because that's the physical world and that doesn't affect the spiritual. It's a huge lie. It was a lie. It was heresy. It was false teaching. It infiltrated the church there. And the fact is, if we're going to be real, it, that mentality is in our churches today. I can be a Christian and live like I want to. We dealt with that last week. No, you cannot. Either you're not a Christian or, or because if you say, man, I, I've lived this way. There's no, if there's no change when you meet Jesus, folks, I'm just going to tell you, you didn't meet Jesus. I don't know what you did. You got excited or you had an emotional experience. But if your life does not change, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creature. There's a change. So you can't tell me that my life just continues. Man, if it just continues like that, you know what that is? That's the flat line on the monitor at the hospital. There's been no change. What happens though when we meet Christ is there's a bleep, bleep, and there's a change. There's life and there's change. It does matter. Paul flatly refutes this idea and he counters it. He says, now, now listen, the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So Paul refutes these Gnostic ideas that the body will be destroyed and all that matters is our spirit. Okay, so when you go back to, to that, the, the, another reason to believe that's what they said in verse 13 is Paul wouldn't say that. Paul didn't have a, 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 a theology that God destroys the body. He understood the body's going to be raised again. He says it right here. He, 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 he's just, here we are. So the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he refutes this. And uh, so Jesus didn't just die to redeem, to, to redeem our spirit only. He died to redeem all of us, our, our spirit, our soul, our body. He redeems everything, not part of it. He doesn't do anything halfway. He redeems it all. So Jesus came to earth to set us free from everything that enslaves us, whether it's physical or spiritual. Jesus came for all of you. Understand that. So God always works through a human body. If you read through the scriptures, God always works through a body. He works through people. He works through, he, he works through a body. Jesus had a body. The Holy Spirit indwells the body. The church is his body. Each Christian is part of the body. The body is not to be used for immoral purposes. Jesus died, then, then he was raised from the dead. And in that body, the Lord Jesus is now seated at God's right hand in heaven. He's not not sitting up there as a spirit. He is in his body, the body that rose from that grave. He's in that body today. And that's glorified. And we've seen, we've seen on Wednesday nights in the picture in heaven, we see in the throne room and the pictures of Christ, the risen Christ, he's glorified and it's a glorified body, but the scars are in his hands. He is in his body, the body he had here. 
When the Lord Jesus lived on the earth, it was through the instrument of his body that he spoke as never man spoke with insight and authority. It was by means of his body he made his way to the home of grieving Martha and Mary. It was with his hands he touched the leper and Jairus's little girl. It was by means of his hands he multiplied the loaves and fishes. It was, it was his feet on which he walked on the, the, the stormy sea. It was his voice that stilled the storm, cast out demons, and summoned Lazarus from the dead. It was his eyes which caught the eye of cursing Peter. It was his back that was smitten, his cheeks from which his beard was torn, his brow that was mockingly crowned with thorns, his hands, his feet so cruelly nailed to the cursed tree. Now he is in heaven in his body. That same body, our hands are to be his hands. Our feet are are to be his feet. Our tongue is to be his tongue. If there's some sick person that needs help, it's our hands that need to help that person. If some distant people are to be reached, he has no feet but our feet to go. If a book needs writing or a language needs translating or a truth needs proclaiming, our body must be his body. So if, if he is to use my body, your body, our bodies, then it, our bodies must be kept pure. Amen. Amen? Foods for the stomach and stomach for food. But God will destroy, destroy both it and them. Verse 14, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Our bodies will be raised up. And we know this. We know if we die in the Lord that, man, we're the, we're the, you're going to be the first ones that come up. Those who have gone before, they're at, the, at the rapture, they're going, to, they're going to go up before we do. They're going to precede us. Their body's going to be put back together. What do you mean, preacher? I mean any believer who died on 9-11 in those fiery towers and, and they never found even a part of their body, they're going to, those bodies are going to be put back together. Well, you, God can do that. Yes, God can do that. He's going to do that. Their bodies are going to be put back together. He, he, it, we will rise again and we'll be re, re, reunited with our glorified bodies. God does not destroy our bodies. Understand this. So their teaching is wrong. Now, I'm going to make five semi-quick points and we're, we're going to wrap this up, okay? Y'all go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Actually, it's not five. It's uh, six, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Number one, our bodies make up Christ's body. So there's some points here that Paul really, really he's dealt with what they're saying. Now he's going to present some really kind of bullet point truths here. So the first thing is that we got to understand is our bodies make up Christ's body. All right, and we understand this. We understand the mystery of the body of Christ as believers. But he says in verse 15, do you not know? They did know. He had taught them. I think, I think Paul has, he says that, he asked that question. It's a rhetorical question. Uh, do you not know? Guys, if you've forgotten, you know I taught you this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? When we're born again, we become a part of him. We, we make up his body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So collectively, we make up his body. Individually, we, we are a part of his body. Just like your little toe is a part of the body. It's a separate, it's a necessary part. But we make up the body of Christ. That's point number one. Number two, he says, basically he says, sexual immorality is sin against Christ's body. So verse 15, continue verse 15, says, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. If we are part of the body of Christ, and we are, how can we go then and make the body of Christ a part of a harlot? How can we become that? Now, what do you mean by that, preacher? What do you mean becoming part of a harlot? Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now, understand, when Paul talks about that, when we get married, the marriage relationship, the two become one, the two become one flesh, is speaking of the relationship 
relationship, the marriage relationship, but it's not, that's not just a principle that only applies in the marriage relationship. If you have a relationship with someone who's not your wife, you, you have become one with them. But if you're a believer, you became one with Christ. You were one with him. And now you're going to go, and as a part of the body of Christ, you're going to go partake in sin with, the, the word here's harlot, but it's, it's anyone outside of, of our wife or our husband that, that then we're, we're having a relationship with. For the two shall become one flesh. Paul's quoting Genesis right there. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we are joined to the Lord. And when we sin like that, we're sinning against him. Think of it like this. Here's what people think. People think you could, that, that, that sexual sin is like a couple of pieces of paper. Well, you know, this is me, this piece of paper. And I should, I should have had paper up here. Can I get a piece of paper? All right. All right, so this is me, and so here's someone else, and I think, you know what, we can, I'm married, and we're one flesh, but I can go over here, and I can have an affair, and, and you know, we, we, we'll commit adultery, and we'll just come back apart, and there's no, no big deal, right? No big deal, but th that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is, if, if that's that person, it ought to have, Elmer, uh, not Elmer's glue, but super glue on there, and when you put it to it, the two become one. So when you tear that apart, there, there is something. You're still a part of that person. They're still a part of you. We can't just, here's the mentality. Boy, we can do this and it really doesn't affect anything. There's nothing permanent. It's just a short-term thing. It was just a fling. It's not a big deal. That's not what Paul says. That's not at all what he says. He says, when you are born again, you are one with Christ. And when you get married, you are one with that person. Anything outside of that marriage relationship, now you are taking your marriage relationship, you are taking God's relationship, and you're defiling that with, a, with another person. You can't just be flippant about that sin because we're sinning. It is sin against Christ's body. And number three, sexual immorality is sin against our own body. Verse 18 now, Paul tells us here, he says, flee. Flee sexual immorality. Flee it. What do you think that means? Does it mean hang out and, you know, I'm strong spiritually. Yeah, I'll be all right. I, I'll be all right. That's not going to tempt me. Is that what that means? No, it means run. It means get away. It means exactly what it says, flee. And it appears again here that Paul is quoting another saying of the Corinthians. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. This mentality that, you know, again, it doesn't, it, it doesn't touch the body. Maybe that's some Gnostic thought. Maybe it's not. But, and it's as though they, they think that, you know, it's okay. It's disconnected. Whatever the sin is, you know, it's disconnected from my spirit. It really doesn't affect that. Paul says flee sexual immorality. Don't have anything to do with it. The Corinthians look at sin and they think that every sin happens outside of the body. They think that nothing you do has any impact on you at, at all spiritually. It's like you can play in the dirt and the dirt doesn't get into your pores. You know, it's just not going to get in you. It's not a big deal. It doesn't affect you. It doesn't get inside at all. It stays outside of who you truly are. And, and, and if that's true, then there are no consequences. And, and that is, I think, uh, that, that I think right there is why they think they are free to do anything because there's no consequences. There's no problems with it. We can just do whatever. But, Paul says, but, again, here's a rebuttal. He who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You're sinning against Christ's body. You're sinning against your own body. And he says, flee sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lust. I don't see anywhere in scripture that, that, that we're commanded, any other sin that we're commanded to flee, but sexual sin. And why is that? I'm going to tell you, because it's a strong pull. And it's not something to be, to be played with or to be, you know, I, you know, I won't get involved. I won't get drawn into it. You know, that, that, that little, little, you know, it's, the flirting at, at, at work, that's really, it's not a big deal. It's not a big, nothing will come of that. It, it, was, it was harmless. You know, looking at something online, oh, it's not a big deal. It'll never capture me. It'll never enslave me. Folks, Paul says, flee youthful lust. Flee sexual immorality. 
Flee from it. Now, you can resist the devil. If you can resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Paul says when it comes to sexual immorality, get away from it. And just think about it. Contrast David and Bathsheba. David wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He, he was lingering at home when he was supposed to be out battling. What is he doing? He's out on, the, out on the court one day. He's out there looking around, and Bathsheba's down on a rooftop somewhere down below, and he lingers. Maybe he stood there and watched for a while. What a perv. He should have done his flee. He should have ran from that. He should have said, somebody go down and tell her to put a curtain up. He should have put a curtain. He should have done everything to flee from that, but he didn't. He entertained it. And we know the story that he gives in. He has sexual immorality there. He goes into that sin. And if you want to look at his life, it followed him the rest of his life. And contrast that with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Man, I'm going to tell you, I think Potiphar's wife probably had it all lined up to where nobody ever would have known. She didn't want to get caught. She just wanted to have fun. And, and they, uh, uh, Joseph said, nope, 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 nope. She grabs on to him. He says, you can have it. I am out of here. He let the coat go and then uh, shunned. The, this, this, what's the phrase? I need to be careful. Shunned woman. Scorned woman, that's it. Scorned woman, and she was vengeful. She was out for him, had him locked up. Short term, he must have been thinking, man, this is crazy. I did right, and here I am. Long term, God took care of him. God blessed his life. God will bless your life. Do right, do right, do right. Get away, flee sexual immorality, amen? Number four, here, here, here. I said before, you know, my body, my choice. That's a lie because it is not my body. I don't care whether you're saved or not. It's still not your body. It's not your body. Verse 19, and you are not your own. Now, we as believers, we have zero, zero stance to claim that our body is our own. You are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. The cost is infinite. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with the corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ there in verse 19. We were redeemed by the blood of Christ. That is priceless, folks. Priceless. We have been purchased. We are not our own. We are his. You get it? We're his. You're, you're not your own. You can't just do whatever you want. He owns us. It's his body. And he has every right to tell me how to live my life in this body. It's his. You think a slave at any point in history went, nah, I'm not doing that. It's my body. I'm not going out and doing this work. I'm not carrying those stones to build the, the pyramids, Pharaoh. I'm not doing it. How do, how do you think that would have gone over? Like a rock, right? Number five. Our body is his temple. Verse 19, or do you not know? Here he is again. Do you not know? Come on, guys. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? They don't have a temple anymore. They didn't need a temple because we're the temple. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He fellowships with us. He comes and lives within us. An unbelievable thought, but it's an unbelievable truth. So believe it because it is true. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, or you, uh, uh, and you are not your own? Again, we're, we are, our body is the temple of the living God. He indwells us. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells your body. How terrible a thing it is to commit fornication using a body which not only now belongs to God, but which is actually indwelt by him. So whenever we sin, now I'm going to say it this way, whenever we sin, sexual immorality or otherwise, understand this, the Holy Spirit is present in the body that, that is thus being abused in sin, grieved beyond words. He's witnessing the whole shameful thing, wounded in his heart, his holiness outraged, and his immediate vengeance only held back by his grace. Amen? Amen? Before plunging into sexual sin, really, folks, any sin for that matter, we need to get back to Calvary. And we need to see the body of our Savior nailed to the cross. 
We, we need to remember that he bore our sin in, in his own body on the tree. And we need to see him hanging there paying the price for our sin. So number six, the bottom line to this, and Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come forward. The bottom line to this is, is this. Verse 20 says, therefore, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? It's all that he just said. Everything we've just gone through, he says, therefore, therefore, glorify God in your body. He didn't say glorify God in your spirit, which is his. He said glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So as we you know, wrap this up, when you think about your body and, and what it's for, remember this. Number one, our bodies are designed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. They have been washed, sanctified, and justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So they're designed to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are for Jesus. They're for him. It's not for me. It's not for us. It's for him. It's to do his work. Number three, our bodies are made to glorify God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Well, the way we care for our body. That's important. How do you care for your body? What, what are you doing? You know, here's, here's the truth. You know, we take, better care of, we take better care of things when they cost a lot, Right? So, which are you going to take better care of? Are you going to take better care of that, that brand new uh, Dodge Challenger? Or are you going to take better care of the Matchbox Dodge Challenger? Boy, I got to keep that thing polished. Man, I got to take care of it. You know, I'm going to keep it in a... Okay. Are you going to... No, you, eh, Matchbox. Uh, it cost me four bucks, so big deal. You're not, you're not too concerned with that. But the big one, man, you're, you're polishing that thing. You're, you're making sure nobody gets close to it. You're parking out in the parking lot where the lines are like this. You're out there like that, taking up eight places so just so nobody gets close to your car. We do that, right? We want to protect those things. We want to, we want to take care of it. Uh, think about how you drive your own car, your baby. Oh, that's my baby. Unless you're Bill. That's your baby. That hurt. That hurt. But what do you take better care of, your baby or a rental car? Sir, do you want the insurance on this car? Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm going to drive the fool out of it. Yes, I do. Look, Christ, Christ gave all to redeem us. It wasn't cheap. Our salvation is not cheap. It's costly. It's infinitely costly. And we should, we should think about that in the way we care for our body. The way we dress our body. Wow. You know, how many, let me ask a question. How many of you have a cell phone right now? You got a, how many of you have a cell phone? Let me ask that way. Raise your hand. Uh, raise them high. All right, let me see all those hands. All right, it'd be easier to say who doesn't have a cell phone, but it's, I see that. Keep your hands up a moment. Now, if, keep your hand up if you do not have a phone protector on it, some type of a case on it. Keep your hand up. If you do not have a protector on it, you have nothing on your phone, keep your hand up. So there's three of you, there's two of you. So there's two of you in here that, that do not have a protector on there. And I would ask the question, for those of you that have a phone protector on there, why do you have a phone protector on your phone? What? Protect it. Well, you, all right, so you put a, you put a screen protector on because you don't want what to happen? You don't want the spring to break. You got a case on the outside because you don't want what, I mean, did, how many of you are hesitant to let somebody borrow your phone? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Are you hesitant? Because, you know, they talk about the filth that's on a cell phone. I mean, I take Lysol and spray my phone because I go, man, they talk about the filth that's on a cell phone. Y'all are going, what? We got it up here. We're all, we're all over the thing. Um, but we put that on there, protect it, right? We don't, how many of you want your phone to get dirty? Anybody want your phone to get dirty? Why, why, why do we do all that? Why do we do that? But because it costs a lot, right? If, if it didn't cost anything, that's why our kids break them like there's nothing because they didn't pay for it. You know, I, 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 mom and dad, big deal. Yeah, mom and dad paid for it, no big deal. But I, I paid for that and I've never broke a, I've never broke a phone, so that probably won't work now. We do that because it's, it costs a lot. It's valuable. We value it. And we cover it up because we want to protect it. 
Let me say something to the teenagers right now. Your body is much more valuable than a phone. Cover it up. Don't show it off to everybody. Don't endanger it. Don't let it get polluted. Okay? Keep, keep it safe like we do our, our phones. We, we take better care of our phones than we do our bodies. Here, everybody handle my phone. We don't do that. Do that with your body. Take care of it. So the way we dress our body, the places we take our body, the deeds we do in our body, all of these are things that we need to consider in the way that we glorify God with our body. Everything we do in this body, we should glorify God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts. I can't read the hearts of the folks that are in here. But Lord, you can. And you know if there's, if there's sin this morning that needs to be confessed. You know if there's a burden on our heart for a physical need or a spiritual need, uh, maybe a financial need. You know the burdens of our hearts. There's, there's needs that, Lord, we're just, we're, they're heavy on us this day. Father, there are people in our life that we know need the Lord. Lord, this altar is a place for us to come and, and share those needs with you. This morning, maybe, maybe the, the, there needs to be a time of us just coming and confessing to you. Something, something that's going on in our life or has gone on in our life, something we just want to get that right with you. Today would be a great time to come to the altar and bring that to you. Maybe there's someone in our life that needs prayer, desperately needs prayer that we need to lift up, now would be a good time to come and lift them up at the altar. Maybe there's a need or a burden or a, a, a fear that needs to be placed on the altar today, Lord. Maybe there's something we need to come and get off our back and get off our chest and put on you because you've told us not to carry these things. Lord, we're not made for that. You've commanded us not to. You said to cast all our care, not some of it, but all our care on you because you care for us. So, Lord, whatever the burden is this morning, whatever the need is this morning, whatever it is you're doing in our hearts, I pray, God, you would speak to our hearts. And, and Lord, you would, you would just touch our hearts and we would be obedient to respond. Lord, give us a boldness to step out if we need to come and pray or we want someone to pray with us. God, may we not be concerned with those that are sitting around us of what someone might say or think. That's so unimportant at this moment. But I pray, God, we'd be obedient to respond to you. And this morning, Lord, if there's even one that's sitting here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, they've never come to that place of understanding, I'm a sinner, I am lost, I am separated from God Almighty because of my sin, and there is no way that I can get back to God. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, born of a virgin, and then to die on the cross in my place, to pay for my sin. And this morning, he offers you eternal life. He's done all that needs to be done. And he offers to you simply by faith uh, salvation. So that this morning, you need to be born again. I, would, I, I pray, God, you'll speak to the heart of each one here. And whatever the need is, that we'll respond to that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with us.